We're covering some of our favorite movies about growing up here today on Script to Screen. Coming of age and rites of passage movies are everywhere, but these are the ones we enjoy the most and we'll let you know exactly why. Remember, you can join the Boston Screenwriters Group on meetup.com and RSVP for an online screenwriters forum. Be reviewing scripts, giving feedback on fellow writers' work while networking with them as well. You can watch past forums on our YouTube channel and watch our entry for this year's Boston 48 film project, Euphoria, on my channel. Links in the description. We hope to see you at one of the forums. Enjoy the podcast. Let's get this. Let's get this rolling. No, so I want to give a welcome to screenwriters, aspiring writers, film lovers, and everyone in between to our latest episode of Script to Screen, the Boston Screenwriters Group podcast, hosted by myself, Jeffrey Chang Stewart, Kenyatta Hoskins, and Mark Liddell, where we come in and discuss and give screenwriter, filmmaker, and a film lover's perspective on movies and various other forms of media-related topics. Whenever you're giving us a listen, morning, noon, or night, we hope to be a great part of your listening cues. We know the world is a little off kilter at the moment. It's getting better, but we hope to be a part of the good stuff in your day with these in-depth discussion on film, TV, streaming, and other things we love. So I'll start out with the intros. I've been a co-organizer of the Boston Screenwriters Group for over five years, helping out the founder, Deborah Sharif, with the meetups, where we help any level of experienced screenwriter peer review the screenplays with other members. I'm also a local filmmaker on the lower end of budgets, but I'm always up with coming up with movie ideas and I'm ready to film. Now, with all that said, I'll pass it off to my co-organizer and friend, Kenyatta. Hey, how you doing, folks? Uh, Sunday morning, uh, you know, uh, late morning. But anyways, you know, I've been with the group, Boston Square group, for over five years. Been a co-organizer for over three years now. Um, you know, I don't know what was happening with time because it just feels like you know, just time flying by, man. But have a good time. I'm having a good time with our Boston Screenwriters Group. Um, you know, just have a good time being a co-organizer co- uh, and have a good time with these podcasts that we do every week and uh, look forward to it. So um, I hope everybody enjoys. And I'm Mark Lydell, a longtime Boston educator, uh, lover of film, in uh, a former life uh, repertory, uh, theater actor, uh, and some small uh, film projects. Um, been with um, these guys doing this podcast for about a year uh, now. And really, you know, it's it's allowed me to get my, my movie, my film Jones, at a time when I didn't have, you know, the opportunity to go to the film, uh, go to the theater rather, to see films. Um, and now that things are opening back up, um, I'm really excited about that. And I'm also, you know, just enjoying talking about movies. So this is what we've been doing for a little over a year, and uh, I want to continue. So happy to be here. Good morning or afternoon or whatever, at night, wherever, whenever you are. Uh, hello. All right. Yeah, that's right. So it's getting uh, it's getting hotter here in the Boston area. Uh, so, uh, summer is definitely here, officially the beginning of summer. And uh, we already did uh, summer movies, at least Mark and I. So uh, uh, we went, we took off that topic. But uh, today we have, uh, I think, very special and near dear to everyone's heart, uh, coming of age movies. You know, uh, movies that uh, sort of uh, divvy out the life lessons uh, when uh, of youth and uh, all the pitfalls and obstacles thereof. 
Um, they're ubiquitous. They're everywhere in every single uh, in every single age group and every single uh, culture and geography. Uh, they're very different and varied. And I thought we, this would be a good topic uh, to tackle. And uh, does anyone want to uh, start us off, uh, maybe with uh, one of their favorites or uh, something that's uh, near dear to their uh, their their nostalgia? Well, I guess I can start, uh, which is kind of ironic in terms of this, this movie because I can't roller skate to save my life. But when I saw this film, and I remember when this film came out, and I, you know I used to watch uh, Roger Ebert and you know Gene Sisko, and you know I used to watch them critique movies and what have you. So when they were, you know. Um, critiquing this particular film, I thought they were going to give it thumbs up, so on and so forth. I was kind of shocked that they kind of didn't. So I was like, is it just me? Because I couldn't figure out, I was like, what the hell's wrong with this movie? Because this is, I, I absolutely love this film, and it's called Roll Bounce, uh, starring uh, Little Bow Wow. Uh, well, then he was called, I guess he's, he dropped a little part now, but uh, so I can't remember exactly when it came out. I believe it was uh, somewhat near the late 90s. So it was a whole era of um, everybody was roller skating because of where I'm from, uh, we have a very popular uh, roller rink in the hood, you know? And basically that's what this movie is about. They have this roller rink in, in the hood. And I think it sounds like that a, uh, they're in danger of um, not having it anymore. And then you have like other groups of people, you know, um, kind of taking over a little bit. But anyways, even though, I mean, I was always fascinated. I, I, I think roller skating is beautiful. I wish I knew how to roller skate, but um, I just never got a chance to. But um, it was directed by Malcolm Lee, Spike Lee's uh, cousin. And um, I think Will Bowell, he did a, you know, did a good acting job. He had Megan Good in there. They had Jenny uh, Smollett in there, uh, well, you know, when she was younger. And you just had a whole bunch of people that you will recognize once you see this film. But, yeah, I just like the whole, you know, um, I think it took place probably in the 70s, maybe, or maybe early 80s somewhere around there where kids were actually being kids, not just, you know, in fact, like today, nowadays what they do, they play video games and they're always on their phone, always on Facebook. But this was a time where kids went outside and, you know, they did activities. So basically their love for um, roller skating tied them all together. And I'm telling you, like one of my favorite scenes it's a guy, uh, I'll try to remember, because smoothness, uh, sweetness, excuse me, sweetness, when he first, you know, was introduced to the film, um, I think it was completely hilarious. You know, uh, it was just this over-exaggerated kind of like, you know, uh, white exploitation, uh, you know, character, you know, the way he played it, I just think it was hilarious. So, but 
I don't know if you guys seen this or not, but I really, that's one of my, we were talking about coming of age films. That's one of the first films that, you know, pops into my mind. I'm, I'm familiar with the film. I'm familiar with the film. I've not seen it. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And for me, um, it's pretty similar in terms of what you talked about and roller skating and what it means, what it meant uh, to me. I, I'm somebody who is, um, you can't see it, but I'm slew footed. My feet are in like 90 degree angles. So skating was a little bit difficult for me. Uh, never mind the fact that I was always, you know, as a youngster, um, a lot bigger and taller than my 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 uh, cohorts, um, so my coordination at least early on was off. Uh, so skating was a problem for me, um, but I can still you know think about those times you know. But I did go to the rink just to stand and look at other people uh, or fall down myself on the you know on the rink. Um, I've not seen Roll Bounce. It's on my list now. I, I don't know how I'll, I'll access it, but um, I knew that it came out. I was a uh, a broke uh, student, so I didn't get a chance to check it out and just have never gotten caught up to it. Um, but yeah, I know you're talking about Roll Bounce. I, I'm looking forward to seeing that one. Um, and also just kind of to be a little bit tangential, there is a, a documentary um, on roller skating that came out on HBO in 2019 called United Skates, which talks about um, the kind of shuttering of, of um, roller skating rinks in urban areas and what it means to those communities. Um, so United Skates is the name of that. I don't know if it's still available on HBO or not. Um, for me, um, there's a, um, a coming age film. When it popped in my head immediately was one called uh, Raising Victor Vargas, uh, which is a, a small uh, independent movie Ooh, the year escapes me, um, but it, it it highlights a character, Victor Vargas, um, young Latino uh, male in, in New York City, uh, going through the, the typical kind of trials of, of teenage life, you know, trying to fall in love for the first time, feeling awkward, um, your role within the family, uh, shifting and changing, um, gaining over the course of the film, you know, some modicum of confidence, um, because for a lot of teenagers, especially um, adolescents can be an awkward time where a lot of them um, pretend as if they're confident about who they are, who they're, who they're becoming, but really have no clue. Um, as far as who acted, I think these are all, if not first time actors are all pretty um, novice, much of novices, at least to the, the, the mainstream kind of film industry. Not sure what they're doing uh, now or have done uh, since. Um, but um, yeah, raising Victor Vargas. Yeah, I, I haven't seen either uh, Roll Bounce or uh, Raising Victor Vargas. But uh, going a little bit back to uh, uh, Roll Bounce, uh, we we recently got a uh, sort of an, a um, another sort of uh, uh, rollerblades and uh, a skating nostalgia movie from uh, Jonah Hill. Uh, who was first-time director on uh, mid '90s, uh, and sort of uh, sort of tries to capture that uh, 1990s LA scene with uh, uh, skating and uh, 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 skateboarding. Sorry, I couldn't going to come up with the name. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, it it does it it does do that uh, because when. For some reason, whenever I think of the '90s, I, I just think of rollerblading and uh, skateboarding for for whatever reason. Even though I wasn't much of either, 
but uh, uh, yeah, generally uh, that sort of um, that sort of feel uh, that, that sort of feel really uh, sort of just encapsulates at least the, the summer months of uh, of the '90s when I was uh, when I was growing up. But uh, I, let's see, where, where I can where can I start? Um, well, I can I can start with uh, maybe one of the you know the uh, the uh, the first uh, the first incarnations, if you will, of uh, coming of age and sort of the thing that sort of uh, set the template, if you will. Uh, that would be um, Francois Truffaut's uh, 400 Blows. You know, it's the movie that you have to see, whether you're taking your first film class in high school or college, uh, you know, black and white. And uh, uh, just it's the movie not that doesn't really specifically have a plot per se. It's just following um, following this kid growing up in Paris uh, in uh, his uh, the, the uh, just the day to day of uh, just living uh living and growing up and um getting into trouble but um sort of has you know it was uh made in uh 1959 uh and it has since influenced like countless other uh countless other movies that have followed it um and of course you know it's kind of the uh, eat your vegetables movies whenever you're getting in first into film studies but uh i i think it really uh it, it's one of the first and uh probably one of the uh, i think one of the best examples of uh coming of age uh and has certainly gone on to certainly be the template of uh how to do the uh coming of age movies with sort of uh plotless uh just sort of um hanging out with your friends and uh, getting into trouble uh that has certainly carried on to uh, many many other uh movies in the genre yeah, I never seen 400 Bulls, but, you know, I was always meant to check it out, but I just never did. But now that you mention it, I think that I will push that for along on my queue. Um, and reason, yeah, thank you. You know, this is why I like talking to you guys, because, you know, you, you come out with these, uh, you know, these uh, titles that uh, either I never heard of or, I may have thought about, about at one point or, or another and it kind of give me like good uh, movie recommendations. So I appreciate you guys for that. But um, yeah, I got to check out that, uh, um, that, the, the documentary you're talking about, HBO. I got to check that out. But <clears throat> the next thing on my list is, um, it's, it's called The Sandlot. Here, here you go again. I was never really big into baseball, so to me, it wasn't really. Yeah, it's a baseball movie, but it was more coming coming age. So it really wasn't about baseball in and of itself. That um, I enjoyed the film is like the camaraderie with you know the, the kids and kind of like I I know you know. Um, um, Jeffy, not you know, like voiceover, but something about voiceover and coming to age films, it just something about it that that characteristic of it. It's like just see you a coming age movie without it. I mean, I get, there are others without it, but it's like I just love it in certain instances. And one of one of them is the Sandlot, you know, 
and uh, with the big dog, and it's very inventive. A lot of these films are very innocent. Not all coming-of-age movies are just fun and family-oriented, but this is one of them that is, you know, um, I remember when I first started dating my wife, and, uh, you know, she had a son, so, and that became his favorite movie, too. I let him see it one time, he just stopped watching the daggone movie. But um, to this day, you know, I can watch this film anytime, and it's just one of my uh, favorite come-of-age films, you know, along with Robot Bounce. So um, if you haven't seen it, I'll, I'll definitely recommend it. It's like an instant classic for me. And, um, you know, you'll, you'll be familiar with all the, you know, the actors in it. Uh, I think Paul Brzezinski provides the voiceover. Um, yeah, so yeah, so that's my second film that uh, I am, you know, recommending. So the Sandlot makes another appearance. We, we talked about it a little bit last uh, podcast about summer movies, and uh, yeah, I, I can agree. Uh, certainly, a great coming of age film. Um, as you mentioned, the usage of the the big dog is as, as a kind of metaphor for, you know, the, the idea that a ball could be lost over the fence and, and that was the, the, the monster of kind of uh, losing out on being able to participate. So you can't risk that. Um, excellent. Um, another one for me is um, better luck tomorrow, um, which is a little bit different. Um, you talked about the innocence <laughs> of youth um, in the Sandlot, and this might be the opposite, or maybe not, um, but it, it centers around some Asian American students um, all trying to figure out who they are. Um, the main character um, is trying to deal with the idea of, of you know, being Asian and, and, and having certain stereotypes um, that exist and whether or not he fits into those stereotypes. And also the, the idea that to be you know, Asian means that you're perceived to be someone who's gonna be not just a great student, but also somebody who's goody two shoes and doesn't get into trouble. Um, so they're trying to deal with that uh, idea and you know, kind of sh shirk that kind of label as well. Um, and oddly enough, there's a movie that came out um, this week um, that features one of the actors from Better Luck Tomorrow. And if you didn't know, now you know, this is um, the character in that in the movie I'm talking about, the, the, the um, Fast and Furious Saga uh, movie, uh, F9 character, Han, who's in that series. I don't know, um, I, don't, I haven't seen all of them, but um, his actual character from the um, Fast and the Furious movies is the character from Better Luck Tomorrow. This is his original uh, film in terms of that character's original film was in Better Luck Tomorrow. So um, if you're a Fast and Furious fan, the origin story of the Han character is Better Luck Tomorrow. Yeah, Better Luck Tomorrow is always in my watching queue. Uh, it's always up for, uh, it's always up to, I haven't gotten to it yet. Of course, uh, I've, I've heard a lot about it and uh, and always uh, uh, sort of uh, Justin Lin's sort of uh, first uh, film de directing debut. And uh, yeah, the, the character of Han apparently crosses over into, so it's a, it's in the Fast Saga. It's, it's a Fast and Furious movie, uh, but it's just a very different uh, coming of age movie instead of, uh, you know, spy heist uh stunt work uh movie but uh love sandlot 
absolutely uh, Dorsey. Yeah, we talked about it uh, last podcast. Uh, it is these. It is one of these summer movies for me when I think of summer and I think of uh, um, all the feelings that uh, that that crop up, especially uh, uh, the. Uh, summer vacation when you're when you're just a kid in grade school uh and uh when um you just have uh all the time in the world at least you think so and then um you did just spend it with your friends and you try to uh um you try to just may have the time of your time of all your lives and uh yeah and it goes into sort of the um uh the childhood uh mythologizing that goes into into things the things seem you know uh so just uh just mad well yeah, magical and uh and it, it, uh, it's able to um the the movie is able to sort of impart that uh and of even even if you're not a baseball fan i think you're able to relate to the kids and the camaraderie and um it, it, it is definitely it's both a great summer movie and a great uh, great coming of age movie uh definitely yeah, wholeheartedly agreed absolutely um so but uh i, I can go with a sort of uh, uh, a different sort of uh, the, uh uh boys getting together and and uh sort of uh uh, finding stuff out about each other, uh, sort of movie, uh, stand by me. Uh, that's, uh, you know, I, I, one of my favorite Stephen, Stephen King adaptations. I think, uh, it's, it's uh, very well done. It's, uh, um, it's both, um, it can be both, it ranges from, uh, comedic to very uh, dramatic. It, uh, is able to sort of capture the, both, um, the, uh, the 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 really uh ridiculousness of uh childhood the innocence and everything but also the loss of innocence and i think that it really straddles that line uh, so well and uh also has a very uh, poignant uh, voiceover uh, uh that really is able to tie everything both uh, tie everything by the end uh yeah i think uh, uh it, it was back when uh, Rob Reiner was really knocking it out of the park with uh, w- with his movies, and uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, we're getting a sort of a Stephen King renaissance, uh, both on uh, streaming and uh, and in uh, in the cinemas. But uh, you know, that was right at the height of uh, the first sort of uh, uh, King adaptations, and I think one of the best. Yeah, I agree. Right. With, Go ahead. Yes, yes, I agree. With Stand by me. You know, actually, that's on my list as well. It'll always be on my list. Um, so if I ever had a cover age kind of like movie, you know, uh, fe- you know, festival or or just had like you know, I'm just gonna have like all I'm gonna do is watch some of cover age movies, and that will be on my queue as well. And, and I think it's one of my favorite um, Stephen King adapted films. You know, along with Shawshank, whatever, you know, stuff like that. But that, that's definitely on the top of the list, and uh, you know, and and and, and what what the commonalities between that and uh, Sandlot is kind of like uh, Sandlot, how you grew up, kind of like your ball going to somebody's property, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, and the fear of going get it, like who's going to get it? either it's a big inconvenience to go get it, 
the big headache or kind of like that fear of like what's on the other side of pets. You know what I'm saying? So, um, and ironically, because like there was an incident that's recently occurred where a little six-year-old boy, I think he, you know, uh, kind of went into somebody's property. I don't know if he lost a ball or whatever. And, and the property owner actually shocked the kid. You know, uh, luckily the kid survived and got shot in the arm. But at first, the, the, the guy tried to chase the kid with a sledgehammer, couldn't catch the kid, and then he went and got done it. You know, I know this is very serious happening in real life, but when I, the first thing that came to my mind is like, you grow up, you know what I'm saying? Um, you, you're innocent. It's like you're not hurting anybody. You just go to get your ball. And that's something that, um, that that we carry with us when we're that age. You know, uh, sometimes you get so scared, you just leave your ball there or your, you know, your baseball, whatever. You know what I mean? Your frisbee or whatever it is. Uh, because you have that mythology in your head as a kid. It's like, who lives there? You know, and you have the imaginations like, you know, uh, even in my neighborhood, like, if you're born with to that person's property, you stay, uh, uh, you know, away from it because in our heads it's like, oh, um, the mass murderers or whatever, whatever. But uh, with Stephen King, the um, this <clears throat> Stand by Me, it's that thing about finding dead bodies because you hear stories of kids, you know, they're playing and they come across one. And I think of like Boys in the Hood, for example. It began with that, and it's like that whole thing. I don't know what it is. Um, you know, growing up, it's like when you're, when you're playing and like you said, your ball going on somebody's property or it goes into the woods. The one thing cross your mind is like, damn, what if I find a dead body? You know, that was a big thing growing up. I don't know if you guys kind of have that experience. But um, yeah, so Stand By Me was definitely, it's definitely on my list. And to just to add, to, I mean, I'll, I, 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 don't, I don't know if you want to add to Stand By Me. Yeah, I was just going to say that it's on my list too. I mean, it, it, that is the quintessential coming of age movie, at, at least for me, because it came out at a time when I, you know, was just a little bit older than the characters in the movie and I can kind of relate uh, to them. Um, and it was just, it, it's, it's gold, right? It, it, it's extremely, you know, well done. Um, I won't, I won't say it's the, the, the best coming of age movie of all time. I don't know. I can't rank order them, but it's up there. It's on the Mount Rushmore of coming of age movies. Um, and, you know, it, it's phenomenal. It actually um, is the first time a lot of people saw a number of actors uh, in that movie, too, who kind of went on to do uh, other things, um, including um, the deceased uh, River Phoenix. Um, but, yeah, Rob Reiner's masterpiece. And I just wanted to, I know you have something you want to mention, Kenyatta, but I've got a, a Stephen King tie-in with my movie. I don't know if that, that's okay if I can throw mine in there because it's tied to Stephen King as well. All right, go ahead, go ahead. All right, so Keeping with Stephen King was a movie that came out in 2001. Um, Hearts in Atlantis um, with Anton Yelchin and Anthony Hopkins. And this is a movie um, where um, the Anton Yelchin character, Bobby, um, 
is in a household where he really wants and needs a father figure. And Anthony Hopkins plays a mysterious kind of stranger who kind of comes into his life, who seems to have some type of um, supernatural powers too. So there comes a Stephen King, right? The traditional Stephen King with supernatural stuff coming in. Um, and, you know, all the while the, the character Bobby um, is, is learning to, to gain confidence with the, at, at the tutelage uh, of, of this, um, character, uh, I don't want the character's name that Anthony Hopkins plays, but um, he's important in this kid's development as a young man. Um, so Hearts in Atlantis, check it out if you haven't seen it. You know, I haven't seen that. And um, I think I read the, at least some of the book, but yeah, uh, yeah I'll give that a try too. But the other film that, I was going to uh, mention is Super 8. Now, like I said, it's one of those movies where it's like I enjoy it so much when I find that other people don't enjoy it as much as me. It's like, it's like, wow, I, you know, it's, I don't get it. It's like, because I really, you know, like this film. And um, one of the things you think about when you see Super 8, it kind of kind of reminds you a little bit about Goonies. It kind of reminds you of kind of like that Stephen King, like E.T. and uh, kind of like from, you know, from the elk, you know what I'm saying? So, but, and the thing is, it's about these kids in their love and their passion of making movies. So that, um, you know, that even makes it better for me, you know what I mean? To, to, you know, without, without watching this, you know, kids talking about production value with their going out with their Super 8 cameras. Um, I remember my first Super 8 camera when I was in college and uh, going to UMass Boston and making my first film and everything like that. And um, so there's a, a deep connection when I, when, I, when I see this film and J.J. Um, Abrams, you know, um, uh, movie. And it just had that feel, that nostalgia uh, from, you know, it kind of harkens you back to the 80s. It has that feel to it. And, um, you know, you have these kids getting to all this mystery. I mean, they're being innocent and they get um, thrown into this kind of like governmental plot and everything like that. And, you know, sort of like a Scooby-Doo type of deal where, you know, you get the, these, these kids you know, they're being very curious and uh, about the world and, you know, they go on this adventure to kind of solve stuff, you know, try to, you know, so, you know, um, take action, you know, towards the world, you know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, so so that's, you know, like I said, Super 8 is top of my list of coming Asian films. I had totally forgotten about Super 8. If I remembered it, it'd be on my list too. Um, that's certainly J.J. Abrams um, doing his best homage to Steven Spielberg. He got the Steven Spielberg playbook out. Um, it, it hits all the notes, all the beats of a, of a, of a Steven Spielberg movie from the 80s. Uh, and I felt really nostalgic looking at that thing. Wow, this this feels like movies I watched when I was, you know, a, a teen or early double digits. Um, yeah, that, that that's that's phenomenal. I, I don't know. Um, I guess it had to be intentional that he was trying to kind of 
do a Steven Spielberg-esque movie because it's, it's impossible to, to, to hit all those notes uh, and not try to be somewhat, not derivative, but 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 uh, dissimilar in style um, on down to the, the familiar relationships. Um, I guess a common theme in Steven Spielberg movies, whether it's Close Encounters or Poltergeist or, you know, you name it, is this kind of, at times, the, the, the risk of a fractured home life and what it does to a kid. And you have some of that here in, in Super 8 as well. So, yeah, he definitely, you know, um, studied up on Steven Spielberg and hit, hit, the, hit the ball at the park uh, with uh, Super 8. And just to kind of like, I'm sorry, let me cut you off, but just real quick that there's an author misconception that Steven Spielberg did Poltergeist and it was Toby Hopper. So that just stood out because everybody has it. And for a long time, uh, it, it, you know, it's been hypothesized that Steven Spielberg directed part of it. <laughs> so, 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 but yeah, yeah, Poltergeist. So anytime you see films like this, everybody thinks Steven Spielberg. So I, I watched something recently about Steven Spielberg and they said, yeah, you're, you're right. Um, Hopper uh, directed Poltergeist, but there was also this thing, like, did he really? It's almost like, you know, there's a question as, as whether or not Steven uh, Spielberg, as you mentioned, did part of it or even, you know, um, did a big chunk of it and, and kind of gave the credit to someone else. I don't know. Um, credit is, is not Steven Spielberg, but I think his fingerprints are all, all over that one. Um, certainly had some hand in it, I believe. But Most um, definitely. you're right in terms of credit, accreditation, credit being credited rather. Um, it's not Spielberg, but it has that feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, JJ definitely had uh, at least uh, ET, Close Encounters, uh, you know, must have been just playing, uh, playing in the background when he would, whenever they were uh, writing the script or, um, or even on set, because yeah, there's definitely uh, Spielberg beats that are unmistakable. Uh, especially with, with uh, whenever Spielberg dealt with uh, aliens, uh, there's definitely a lot of uh, homages, if you will, to uh, uh, to ET, Close Encounters, um, and, um, and yeah, the, the Super yeah Super Eight is, is very fun. It's a very fun movie. I, I remember when it uh, uh, came out, uh, it was um, it was sort of. Uh, uh, it was sort of compared to another thing that was that was out at the time that or had just come out, uh, Stranger Things, uh, and uh, their uh, the Netflix series, uh, which uh, which sort of um, was a companion piece almost to to it. The um, the group of kids that are uncovering this huge uh, you know conspiracy, and uh, they're way over their heads and everything. Um, so there was uh, apt comparisons between the two. Uh, but, uh, for whatever reason, uh, I, I think I like, uh, probably super eight, uh, a little bit better, uh, because, and I, I only watched probably maybe the first season of uh, stranger things. So maybe, maybe it got, uh, maybe there was, uh, it got a little bit better from, from there, but, uh, yeah, I think it, it's because of what you mentioned, because it is about, uh, filmmaking or at least uh, the love of filmmaking and, uh, how it, uh, the, these kids are just, uh, they're they're giving it their all uh despite uh you know not having any of the resources uh necessary just one single super eight camera and uh what what you can uh do with just uh just a uh 
a, an appreciation and love for a craft. I think that that's, uh, that's very, um, it, it's very, very poignant, uh, to, to, uh, to sort of, um, to sort of give off. But, uh, I liked it so much. I actually just wanted to see the movies that they made. Uh, so that sort of plays at the end credits of super eight. I kind of wanted to see the whole thing, uh, because, uh, I, I think, I think that would have been, uh, that would have been a nice little touch, but uh, the, the stuff we got was was fairly well, of course, uh, done with uh, professional actors. Uh, but uh, you know, yeah, I think uh, yeah, Super Eight. Yeah, that's a that's a great choice. But uh, sticking with uh, Spielberg, I, one movie that uh, always gets uh, sort of overlooked in sort of his catalog, you know, and you know he's. He's done like 30 movies, so the stuff will uh, get through the cracks. But uh, it's uh, Empire of the Sun with a baby-faced uh, Christian Bale uh, giving one of the best childhood child performances I think like ever. I, I think uh, um, you could see that you know he would grow on just to become the star that he is. You know, with uh, the Dark Knight movies and uh, several others, uh, that the dedication was there. Like when he was like uh, just in single digits. Uh, I mean, he and it's uh, it's about uh, it's a wartime drama, uh, World War Two, and uh, the South Pacific when the uh, the Japanese were invading. Um, Shanghai and the uh, and the rest of the and the rest of the region, and it's just showing this uh, young uh, British uh, British lad uh, sort of uh, going through all the uh, uh, going through all the pitfalls of trying to find his family and uh, befriending people he probably should not be befriending, uh, but uh, and uh, trying to just make it through. And I think it's it's one of the most underrated in uh, Spielberg's uh, filmography. But uh, I, I think it has since gotten a little bit more, uh, a little bit more love in the most recent years because of the popularity of Christian Bale, uh, and just to see that he had talents like just from the start, uh, and uh, it's very apparent in that, and uh, in a very, very, uh, you know, kind of different uh, coming of age certainly, uh, but uh, very, um, a very, very uh, impactful movie, I, I think. Yeah, great film. Um, <laughs> it's funny. There's Spielberg again with the the fractured family situation uh, theme. Um, I don't recall whether or not Bale uh, debuted his Batman voice uh, <laughs> in that film. I don't think so. But uh, yeah, uh, first time seeing him for myself, I, I guess on on film, um, and a great you know job. Um, it's amazing that this is a young person. Uh, acting in this role and that's somebody who was you know five or, or ten years older I mean, a lot of these uh coming of age movies not the ones you've mentioned today but a lot of those that uh have come out over the years they they make someone who's uh, in their 20s act as if they're like 15 or someone who's mid-20s and you know they're acting that they're 18 um but in this case it's legit uh young person uh just really holding down that role uh masterfully um so yeah, kudos, kudos to Spielberg on that one. Um, another movie for me um, was in the mid '80s. A uh, movie called uh, Lucas with Corey Haim and Charlie Sheen, um, and Lucas is played by Haim, um, the late actor Corey Haim, um, who is you know doing his best to embodying doing a very good, good job of embodying a, an awkward teen uh who falls in love for the first time and doesn't understand 
uh, how, you know, love can bite, it can hurt because it's heartbroken by a young lady. Um, and it's got all the awkwardness that goes along with being, uh, I think he's supposed to be 13 or 14 in that movie. Um, so yeah, just um, kind of a, both a sweet and this kind of cringeworthy um, performance only because you can see where it's going. You can see this character is gonna be hurt and you just feel for him. You can see that, you know, um, he's gonna be disappointed and you're just ready, he's bracing for that moment when, you know, he's confronted and saying, look, dude, uh, I don't love you <laughs> from the female character or look, dude, we're not gonna be together, what that means to him. I think we all can relate to some disappointment in that area uh, at some point or another. And again, Haim kind of embodies that, that disappointment um, and awkwardness of the teenage years extremely well. And we have a, um, I guess I, I can't call him a pre-DB or douchebag uh, Charlie Sheen, because I guess he's always kind of playing these DB roles, whether it's this movie or Ferris Bueller's, he's always playing that kind of a guy with the edge to him. But um, yeah, Charlie Sheen, uh, prior to all this controversy, does a great job in this film too. Yeah, I, <clears throat> those are two films I haven't seen, Empire of the Sun and Lucas. I have to check those out. Um, yeah, I, I come close to watching Lucas, but I just never got a chance to. There's just, you know, there are certain films that you always intend to watch and you never did. And that's the, Lucas is one of them. So, I, yeah, I definitely have to, you know, check those uh, two movies out. But um, <clears throat> the next movie on my list is Cricklin, Spike Lee's Cricklin. And, um, very talented uh, Zelda. I can't remember her last name. I think it could be Harris. Harris, yeah, Zelda. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, I like. I, I would have liked to see her in more films. Uh, now that she's older, I'm surprised I haven't seen her more often. But you know, um, Spike Lee he wrote this screenplay along with his uh, his uh, siblings, his sister Shuali and uh, I, I can't. I, not sure how to pronounce his brother's name is Tsinke Lee. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, and this thing, you know, like I says, I guess the common thread is like you have this youthful innocence, and then you have, you know, them dealing with very situ serious situations like death. Uh, you see, I, I, if I'm sorry if you didn't see it. I'm trying not to spoil it, but you know, it is this movie came out I, I believe in the nineties, late nineties, I believe. Early nineties, so, pretty sure, right? Oh oh early nine uh, No, oh you're right. Maybe no. maybe mid. You could be yeah, right. it, yeah, it might be mid because you know, because this came out after Malcolm X and Malcolm X is like ninety was at least ninety-two. So so yeah, it, pre it preceded though, like get on the bus was ninety-six. Right, right. Right. Yeah, so yeah, probably mid to late eighties, excuse me. But the setting of the film is what the probably late sixties, early seventies. And um, you know, that's like I would call it like Easter egg of uh things that uh from a cultural perspective that you can relate to, even though I'm not from New York, uh it's pretty 
things, there are things that kind of ubiquitous in terms of, you know, uh, if you're from the culture that you kind of deal with, you know, turn on the, on the, you know, the fire hydrants where it's really hot and uh, just like little tidbits of things like the games, the hopscotch and, um, you know, jumping rope and the way we acted and, you know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like that. It gives you that nostalgia because it's like it harkens back to an age where you did all those things. So it's like you watch your film. It's like okay, yeah, I remember we used to eat those candies. I remember we used to do, and it's like it, it, you get this connection because, like, like I said, I'm not from New York, and um, I, you know, I was young in the '70s. You know, this is probably late '60s, probably early '70s, right? And it's like to see the commonalities between how other people grew up, you know what I mean? Had to go in when the streetlight came on and, you know, um, you know, sneak in and watch the game when, you know, um, you're supposed to be in bed. And, you know, it's just just so many tidbits of things that, you know, um, that I can relate to growing up. And, I know it's it a, you know, Spike did a really good job. You know, you had the guys in the neighborhood, uh, like Spike was in it, and he was he came in his pod would go around sniffing glue, right? Um, I, I wasn't too familiar with that, you know, people doing that, but you know, you have people in the neighborhood who are, you know, always drunk and you know whatever, whatever, and you used to be, you know, scared of them. You know, <laughs> you know, saying, so I remember it, where I'm from. There's this guy who used to wear, um, no matter what weather it was, we called him the Jordash Man because tall, skinny guy, uh, very, for us, it was scary because you know that the child imagination, you know, could, you know, our imagination could run away from us. And um, he was kind of like the boogeyman to us, you know. So, so you know, so the, so that part of it when they were running away from these guys, they kind of reminded me of you know, that we used to watch the karate movies, and then after we'd go outside and we act like you know we knew what we knew how to do karate. So yeah, so that that that's why this that that film I like I, I like the, I love the film and it's very personal for me. So that's that's my uh, pick for Kamari's movie. Yeah, I love um, Crooklyn. It was on my list as well. Uh, I wanted to keep it till later, but only because I think I've got this habit of always mentioning Spike becoming the Spike Lee dude uh, on the podcast. I was trying to uh, hold it off and hoping somebody would mention it, and you did. So thanks for that. Um, can totally relate to all the stuff you said. You know about you know just the daily activities, the practices, the the be home by the time the, the lights come on. Um, kids just getting into mischief. Um, and I, the funny thing is, again, much like you, Kenyatta, I was not around in the 60s uh, to experience this, but um, it, I can still relate to it. Um, and there's a certain, I just wonder, there's a certain um, thing that's lost from that time, and I think is kind of spontaneous play. I, I, I work with kids, I work in a high school. Um, 
and I've worked with kids for the last you know 20 plus years. And over the years, what's happened is there's been a loss of spontaneous play. They have play dates now and everything is kind of scheduled and kids use planners and calendars to organize their, their lives. I understand doing that for homework, but when their lives are done that way too, it makes them into uh, adults prematurely. And I think when people look back at this movie, a generation from now, they say, wow, this is what we've lost. We've lost spontaneous play. We've lost the ability to just simply be a kid. Um, somewhere along the way, we've been turned into adults where everything is planned for us. And that's what sticks out to me when watching that movie. Um, it's like, wow, what we've lost in terms of what it means to be a kid. Um, maybe somebody who's a kid now can say, well, no, that's not accurate. We still have some of those things, but from what I see from my perspective, I see a lot of kids don't have those experiences the kids in Quicklin had. So I'm really appreciative for Spike Lee for making this movie because it ends up being a time capsule of sorts. Yeah, and another thing too, I noticed the difference, you know, uh, with this generation compared to uh, the, the generation then is that the kids were responsible for our own fun. You know, I mean, you go on family trips and stuff like that. You know, not everybody did, but, you know, people did. But nowadays, it's kind of like, oh, ma, uh, uh, pa, you know, I'm bored. You know, it's like, what? Then, you know, we, we would get bored, but guess what? We use our imaginations a lot more back then. It's like we made our own fun. We, I mean, we used to invent games like hide and go seek and tag and, and it, like, you could go outside, if you saw a bunch of kids, you might see this group of kids jumping rope. You might see, like, a few feet away, another kid's playing hopscotch, another right. playing jacks. So you see all this kind of like this cornucopia of kids games going on simultaneously. And when you got bored doing one, you might interrupt the other people, you know, harassing them. And that becomes a game of tag. So it's kind of like, like uh, nowadays, if you you know um, tell a kid that if they bought oh go play somewhere, you, it's that's different now. It's like oh, mom, give me your phone, right? You know, and they'll be on your phone for hours watching you sisters YouTube, you know, uh, <clears throat> you know TikTok and all that kind of stuff, whatever they watch. You know, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, I recall like even on a road trip, getting in the car, driving someplace for several hours, you could occupy yourself. There were no handhelds. Uh, there, was, there was no, you know, like you mentioned TikTok. And you could make like counting the different types of like license plates you see on the road as being a game in itself. Or here's a new one. I hadn't seen that one before. Whatever. You could find or make a game out of whatever was around you. And that's that creativity you're talking about that, um, I don't know if it's lost, but they're not in the habit of, of doing things like that. Yeah, just like you said, just ride around a car. You could say, what do they call it? I remember a punch buggy. If you saw a Volkswagen, yes. you know, uh, the, you know uh, the, the bugs, I guess. You would punch somebody in the shoulder. Or my car, that's my car. It's like whatever. The first person to find a face is car one. Like yeah. you can see, oh, if you saw a Lamborghini drove by, you saw it before everybody else, you basically won. You know what I'm saying? So so it's like, you know, you can see a nice car, like, oh, that's my car. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right now you're in the lead. And then somebody say, oh, that's my car. See a better car. So, I mean, like little stuff like that, so small, but it's kind of like, 
it just shows a lot of creativity and kind of like, you know, the adults are sit back and let kids be kids because, you know, nowadays um, adults are in charge of a, of a kid's fun. You know, if it's not the video game, whatever, whatever. So, yeah. And Wild Kenyatta had Lambos in his neighborhood. Wow. We, we didn't have those, but okay. <laughs> no, no, no. What I'm saying is that's how rare it is. That's what I'm saying. Automatically, if you see Lamborghini that, like, every, I mean, that's the airy blue moon. I saw Lamborghini not too long ago. And how often do I see a Lamborghini in this neighborhood? <laughs> you know, it was powder blue. Wow. <laughs> No, no, Crookland's a great choice. Uh, you know, uh, I guess Spike always tries, uh, he finds a way to, you know, to get into these conversations uh, because he has such an eclectic career, uh, you know, beyond the stuff that most people are aware of. Uh, and I mean, it's, uh, you have Elfie Woodard and uh, Delroy Lindo as a couple. I mean, you can't really beat that. That's, that's, just, a, that's just a fantastic parenting unit right there uh, in terms of acting talent. But uh, no, I, I, I agree that, uh, you know, most of these movies, they harken back to childhood, you know, even though they're, you know, 30, 40 years old, they harken back to the 50s or they harken back to the 60s. Uh, you know, of course, the childhoods of the filmmakers, uh, you know, per se, but it's also, uh, you know, them remembering uh, you know, simpler times uh, and, and, and all that and the nostalgia that comes uh, from that. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, it, and I, I like the uh, mentioning of sort of spontaneous play and sort of getting into trouble, you know, um, you know, yeah, let, let kids be kids, you know, they're going to, you know, let them get into it, let them make mistakes, let them, uh, let them find out, you know, the sort of the boundaries or the non-boundaries of, you know, uh, because, you know, once you're into adulthood, you know, those mistakes mean more. Those, those responsibilities grow much larger. You know, let them be kids. You know, let them enjoy themselves. Let them find out things about themselves. And I think that's, that's what most of these movies, I, I think uh, it's a commonality, a common theme. Is, uh, you know, uh, let kids find out what, uh, for themselves. You know, uh, I mean, yeah, that, that, that's great that, you know, parents are, are, are involved in their uh, in, you know, their, their child's education or their child's activity, but at the same time, you know, uh, you know, let them be kids for some, you know, let them, let them make mistakes, you know, and yeah, sometimes they'll, sometimes they get hurt sometimes, but, uh, you know, that's, that's part of childhood is, uh, is learning, you know, what, um, is learning all these things about yourself. Uh, and I think that's definitely the case with, uh, we had a, huge string of uh, sort of great uh, uh, coming of age movies, but especially uh, of, uh, of, uh, of women coming of age movies uh, of recent year. Uh, you know, we have our Lady Birds, you have your eighth grade, uh, and uh, there's uh, it's sort of uh, showing us more about uh, how the digital age, the, you know, the, this era of information, information saturation is really affecting, you know, uh, adolescence and, uh, you know, the, uh, there's, there's both uh, a, a sort of the good things of being, you know, always connected, but at the same time, when you're that age, you know, it's, it's more of a burden than, uh, uh, than, than, uh, than probably it's a, uh, it's a, a good communication tool um just it just shows um uh, you know even though uh, most of these films uh 
their their, their filmmakers are you know, sort of uh, reminiscing about their own childhoods and their own sort of uh, 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 their own their own sort of uh, journeys of uh, finding themselves. And uh, you know, we're getting a few movies. Uh, we're starting to get a few movies. You know, uh, set uh, when I was born. You know, in the '90s, all the way up to all the way up to now, uh, which is uh, get it, which uh, is starting to um, uh, creep me out because now uh, I'm I, uh, getting into that uh, getting into that age of uh, over over romanticizing the 90s or over romanticizing the aughts you know that's going to be a little bit uh creepy from my on my end and before you know it you'll be 50. And before I know. <laughs> so so here's another movie um and I, I guess this can be considered coming of age and I, I i put it in that category because the character learns a lot about uh himself um one of the the, the kind of tropes from coming of age is kind of falling in love for the first time. He does that, uh, coming to grips with um, a harsh upbringing or past happens in this movie too. Um, from a first time screenwriter, um, first time director, and first time, first role for this lead in this movie. Um, though it was directed by a veteran who is, a, is in front of the camera, but uh, before this was never behind it. And that is Antoine Fisher. Um, by Denzel Washington, written by um, the real Antoine Fisher. Um, it's autobiographical so for, the, for the most part, I guess. I'm sure they took some licenses to, to make things a little more exciting um, as they do in Hollywood, even though he wrote it himself. Um, but again, tells the story of a, a young, uh, I think a late teenager, and he just entered the military, um, coming to grips with um, a harsh background uh, a difficult family life um, and again falling in love for the first time and then with the help of uh, the Denzel Washington character who serves as a psychiatrist helps him kind of sort through um, some difficult episodes uh, in his life to kind of um, forgive himself uh, for being the person that he's become. So Antoine Fisher, um, I'll admit it, Toward the end of that movie, my I, I did shed a tear, so I'll be the first one to say yes. I'll, I'll cry the movie. That one certainly did uh, uh, strike a nerve with me. So if you've not seen Antoine Fisher, definitely check that one out. Very good, Tom. It's an excellent movie. Yeah, um, I think. Uh, and Derek Luke plays uh, Antoine Fisher, and he, he's. He, uh, I always wondered, like, why he doesn't have much more of a, you know, much more of a higher career trajectory because of the, the, this is that strong work from one of his, I think, one of his either first or earliest roles. And I always wonder, like, why uh, he doesn't have more of a presence uh, on the A list. But uh, yeah, Antoine Fisher, yeah, I, I'm, I'll second it. Yeah, I shed a tear at the end too. That is, is powerful stuff. I don't know, maybe we don't want to give it too much away, but um, he's. Uh, there comes, you know, it comes to an, an epiphany, and uh, that epiphany is just powerful uh, at, at the end. And uh, Denzel Washington really does great work. Uh, it's very, it's a very strong characters, uh, character piece, uh, coming of age, of course, and uh, this uh, this man who's dealing with, you know, a lot of a lot of hate, a lot of uh, self hatred, but uh, is able to, you know, 
sort of uh, rediscover that and sort of funnel that into something else. And I think that's just a, yeah, it's a fantastic movie. and really not uh, highly talked about, uh, uh, but uh, definitely very uh, gut punch of a movie, especially at the end, you know, but in the best ways possible, of course. You know, um, a lot of films I named, they were much younger, you know, um, some of them like early teens, and some of them not quite teenagers. But this one, uh, they're still teenagers. They're more like 18, 19, so. But uh, it's another Spike Lee film, and it's called School Days. Now, I'm considering this a come-of-age film because right now, you know, I'm 49. I'm going to be 50 this year. And, um, you know, we haven't seen a movie because this movie came out in um, 80... 88. 88. There you go. Yep. 88. So so you're thinking, like, you know, when you see an older film like that, uh, you're curious to see how well it aged. So it's like you ever see a, I I seen school days a bunch of times. So and I remember coming across it on Netflix one one day and it's like I'm gonna watch a little bit of it, you know, until you know and I was gonna change it. But I ended up watching the whole thing. And it's like I the feelings I have for it remain the same. And it kind of reminds me of uh the moves that came before, like Fast Times at Ridgemont High, you know, uh, that 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 you know that film was always is, is up there as well. Because when that movie came out, like in the eighties, you know, it was flooded with, especially the early to mid eighties, with they kind of like these teenagers, all these raging hormones and going through puberty and you know, um, sex and all that kind of stuff like that here, like that there. The school days is kind of like you're going to college because and, and it's like how it's so much different because like fast out at Richmond High and movies like Porky's and all that, all that's like high school. And this one right here, you know, it's about college, the whole college thing and then, you know, when you're a freshman, so it's like that transition from all the stuff, you know, you're on top of the world, you know, in high school, you know, you, you had your friends and you had, you know, you think you found your place in the world. And some people did struggle in high school, you know, in high school, they show a person all along kind of struggle to find that place. And, and some for the people who do, you know, you feel like you're on top of the world. But then you go to college for the very first time and it's just this whole different world, you know. But it, it's still like a whole lot of stuff that you dealt with in high school still going on, like, you know, the whole thing about, um, you, you know, your sexuality and, and uh, you know, blossom into manhood, you know. Um, and there's other, those other things that you, you know, you're dealing with too, um, more uh, mature things, you know, more political stuff going on. So I would say school days, I will put that in come of age and, um, you know, for all the reason, reasons I mentioned. 
you know, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, school days, very influential. I know the year's 88 because that's the year I graduated high school and I went off to Morehouse College uh, where Spike Lee attended and filmed a lot of school days. Um, and I wasn't alone. A lot of folks went to Morehouse after seeing uh, school days, knowing it was filmed there and had those who had interest in, in film like myself. I was a mass comm major initially, but would change it because of the glut of people who were there for the exact same purposes in the competition, trying to get into that area. Um, that movie, um, it was Spike Lee's, I would say, um, first you know, bigger budgeted uh, movie. We know that there was, of course, She's Gotta Have It that preceded that. And also on the smaller end, um, Joe's Bed-Stuy Barbershop from Spike Lee. But this is the first time where it was known uh, when it was created that it would be in theaters. It would have X number of screens um, that he'd be able to, to uh, show it. So he had the budget to kind of back that up. And just think about the actors who we, we did see for the first time or if not the first time, at least early on in their careers, whether it's Giancarlo Esposito, um, of course, Lawrence Fishburne was around before that and is um, a child actor, but still is an adult. This is his first kind of uh, uh, adult role there. And then we've got Sam Jackson, who has a very small role uh, with his Jerry Curl uh, outside of the chicken spot. Um, who's supposed to be a local confronting these, these, these college kids who are kind of, um, I guess the best way to call it is like temporarily gentrifying the neighborhood. Uh, this kind of um, relationship between the neighborhood folk and the college kids, which I can relate to being a college student myself and seeing some of those kind of uh, clashes um, because sometimes the people of the neighborhood were of a different either economic status and certainly in many cases, educational status. And there was some resentment there um, in some cases. So yeah, that was, that's, that's, a, that's a great uh, pick. And it did show off um, Spike Lee's ability to, to, to film uh, musical pieces too. Um, we hadn't seen that prior. Um, and we've seen it again since we've kind of mentioned it before in terms of Malcolm X and how he has a couple uh, uh, musical pieces in, in that movie. But um, yeah, for a lot of folks, it was their first glimpse at Spike Lee, even though he'd done stuff before that. Yeah, if, if nobody has anything else, I have one more I could throw out there. And this, 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 yeah, this film kind of surprised me. And it's like one of those days where we felt like doing something. I said, let's go to movies. What's out? Um, you know, let's go see. So I knew the wood was out. And I was like, no, so let's go, let's see this. I didn't know what, I, I loved it a lot more than I thought I was gonna like it. And it's like um, a guy from Fresh, that which is also a very good film. I can't think of the actor's name. It, it, that was his first role, uh, was in Fresh, but he was in the wood. Um, I cannot think of the guy's name. The actor, do you know what I'm talking about? I know, I know in, in Fresh, he was running bass for Esteban, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, <laughs> Well, yeah, so so this is kind of like, you know, his second film and a little bit older, you know, because he was like a little, little kid when it was in uh, Fresh, which, like I said, was a good film. And um, it was kind of intercut back and forth. Because around that time, there was a lot of movies like Best Man and all that kind of stuff were out. We had like a, a majority black cast, 
and you know they get you know you had a couple get married and so on so on so forth so it's intercut with that so they would <clears throat> reminisce about when they were got together you know as kids and, and how they used to hang out so it, it, it like i said goes back to the themes of you know um during purity and you know how we dealt with uh sex you know what i'm saying you know between avoiding a girl meeting a girl and you know it's kind of like um you know when you're that age you know it's like you're kind of figuring out what is manhood you know what you know and one of the things one of, one of, one of the things that's like how you know we, we deter- sex is a determinant of how much of a so-called man you were so the more uh sex you had this is how this is how we saw it uh, uh, you know at that age it's like the more women you slept with the more the man you are you could you could you know something to brag about it's like you know you could stick up your chest and do your little posturing and so on and so forth but then you have those you know that didn't get women as easily as so i think some you know i think some people exaggerate stuff like that just to you know strut around or what have you but um so there's a lot that, that, that film that kind of uh you know um kind of remind me of that time and you know us struggling how to uh you know growing up and you know growing up into a man like that rites of passage yes i'm familiar familiar with the the wood here here's the thing um as you mentioned there is a glut of movies around that time kind of similar themes and there's a movie um that came out around that time i believe that in my brain for some reason i associate these two films together and one of those movies was extremely bad. And for that reason, I don't want to like ever even glimpse a second of it. In my mind, it's a bad movie called The Brothers. And (laughs) the Wood and the Brothers are around the same time. I'm always afraid of something like, you know, um, it's very childish, but um, if I catch a glimpse of like The Brothers again, I'll turn into stone or something like, something will happen to me, a pillar of salt, something's gonna happen if I I watch that movie again. I'm always afraid of coming into contact of of either uh, The Brothers or possibly The Wood, because I'm not sure how much overlap, because it seemed pretty similar in my mind at least. I'm getting old and my brain's getting foggy maybe, but they seem pretty similar. Um, but I, the wood was better of the two. Obviously, the brothers was was uh, a bad taste. I couldn't get out of my mouth for a long time. Yeah. So, <clears throat> just in case people don't know, uh, if people are familiar with the movie called Dope, so it's by the same the same director writer of the wood did also did Dope, which is also that movie was Dope. So, <laughs> which yeah. is another yeah. cover of age type of film. So. So uh, Rick, I can't pronounce his last name, but a uh, very talented uh, uh, filmmaker. So I would rec- definitely recommend The Wood and Dope or anything that Rick does. Uh, he did direct a couple of Mandalorian from the, you know, the Disney you know, series. So very talented filmmaker. So I'd recommend anything he does. 
Yeah, Sean Nelson is the name of the. Uh, Nelson, yeah, Sean Nelson. Uh, yeah. Fresh in the yeah. Wood. I, I've seen Fresh, but uh, uh, the Wood uh, I haven't gone to. And, uh, but, uh, you know, the only thing I'll, I, I, I wanted to mention about the school days is sort of established, you know, the acting trope for Spike Lee. You know, you had uh, Giancarlo Esposito, you also had Sam Jackson, Ozzie Davis pops in. Uh, you sort of established sort of sort of the acting trope that he would use all throughout the 90s, and especially with uh, Do the Right Thing just the year afterwards, which is astounding that he was able to go from uh, you know, school days to uh, Do the Right Thing. Uh, but um, so I'll... Out, but uh, sort of along those lines, you know, the um, the uh, growing up in uh, you know in sort of uh, uh, rough neighborhoods, and uh, but then uh, trying to uh, trying to find yourself, you know, amidst uh, you know a lot of uh, other um, a lot of other uh, uh, you know societal problems. Uh, probably my favorite uh, coming of age movie, uh, City of God. Uh, and it's a Brazilian movie. I think I mentioned it uh, I don't know, a while back. Uh, I think one of the, you know, uh, sort of, there's a lot of uh, Scorsese uh, uh, sort of homages, but it's definitely its own sort of, uh, it's its own sort of a beast. Uh, um, one of the best uh, like sort of just um, cinematic flourishes in terms of transitions between, you know, characters, transition between time, geography, you know, they, they just use every single like editing trick and every, every single like uh, um, a camera move in order to really impart this story about uh, this, these young kids that just grow up with not less than nothing. And they're, you know, they're treated as, as less than nothing. They're treated, they, they don't have really much of a future or anything. And they're just trying to, you know, they, yes, and they turn to crime because that's the only, only opportunities afforded to them. They, they really don't have a lot going on in the, the favelas of uh, Rio, you know, down on, you know, near the beach, you know, that's where all the tourism and all the uh, upscale and, uh, uh, and, um, and, and rich folks live, but, you know, up in the, uh, up in the favelas, you know, there's, there's nothing. There's just, and, uh, you know, in, in this environment, uh, I, there's, uh, you have, uh, we follow rockets, you know, sort of the, uh, uh, the innocent that's, uh, you know, that's attempted by all the things that's going around. But then you have, I think one of the best villain characters, uh, that's ever been put to film a little Z, like, uh, it's just this uh, psychopath that's just, uh, been brought up in these, in, in these slums and just, uh, taught that, uh, there's just nothing, there's nothing except violence and uh, just trying to rise up in the ranks and turn in the uh, in the gangs. And uh, I think it's it's an amazing sort of uh, uh, coming of age tale that uh, sort of uh, you know and it doesn't uh, it doesn't judge any of the characters. You know, it it uh, so it just play it just shows. It's almost a docu documentary on sort of uh, on, on this place and just this. Uh, uh, just the impossible sort of decisions that that uh, you're brought up with when you don't have uh, you really don't have a family to uh, you don't have family you don't really are given much uh, in terms of a future even to uh, to look up to. Fantastic movie and you know surprised I didn't even think of that one. I mentioned you know Stand by Me being up there. Um, this one knocks it off. I, only because of the, 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 
you already mentioned it, right? The, the kind of documentary almost quality to it, the, 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 the grittiness, uh, the reality of it. Um, it's almost like, if, yes, stand by me. They, they, it's like, you know, you find a dead body or whatever. It, it, it's a loss of innocence, but I can see like some parents showing this to their kids and serving them cookies while they're watching stand by me. I don't see that happening with city of God at all. Right. I mean, and for me, it was kind of like my first glimpse at some of the realities in the favelas of, of, of Brazil. You hear a lot about, um, again, the tourist spots, as you mentioned, but for the majority of people, life is not, you know, um, you know, on the beach surfing or swimming. It is just trying to survive from day to day um, and masterfully uh, shot picture, uh, little Z, um, yes, a villain, but when you look at the environment and you look at where he is, there's a certain ability for the, the, the viewer to kind of relate and understand why little Z is little Z. You still despise him, you still say, ooh, this guy is rough, but okay, I, I can see how that can happen because what else are you gonna do? You really have you know, really no uh, options, no prospects. Um, and you, even though there is law enforcement, I mean, it, really you can kind of circumvent a lot of that. So why not uh, engage in this lifestyle? Because again, you can see the, the contrast between those who have and those who don't. Um, and you wanna assert your, your humanness at the same time. I'm worthy of X, Y, and Z just like you are. So fantastic movie on that one on, on Blu-ray, um, City of God. Um, I forget the name of the director for that movie. Fernando Morales, yeah, he's... Yes, and he, he actually, um, didn't he, he did um, on HBO, I think um, the one with the, the Pope, uh, oh yeah, the two popes. Yeah, that was most yeah. most recent. Yeah, uh, it was for Netflix. Yeah, the, uh, Netflix. Uh, right, right, right. Two popes when uh, uh, Pope Francis was just uh, being uh, uh, being ushered in as uh, the new, the new pope. Uh, but I, I would uh, you know the only thing I'll add is that I lo I love the movie so much, just like you, Mark. Uh, I actually watched the Brazilian series based on the movie, and uh, yeah, I know there's. Uh, you know, it's only in Portuguese, so unfortunately, you have to read subtitles. And uh, you know, the Portuguese they use is not easy to even read. You know, just reading subtitles because it's it's going really fast and really fast and hard. But uh, where can it, that be found? Where, where can I find that? And I watched that years ago, and I had to. That was back when uh, you know Netflix uh, did, does did discs. Uh, you know, I was getting the, the the series, you know, in parts, you know, from the Netflix. So that was years ago. So I don't even know where it'd be available now. Uh, but it's definitely worth it if you love the movie. Like uh, definitely, it's uh, it is. Oh, it's not City of God, but it's uh, what is it? Let me give me give me a second. And then the sequel, um, the sort of semi sequel to it, uh, City of Men. It's a sequel to City of God, but it's based on the characters from the series. So you get a little, you get a little bit more, um, you get a little bit more uh, sort of. Uh, um, involvement if you watch at least a little bit of the series to get an idea of who these characters are because it's it, it is a sequel to City of God in that it's the new you know it's new generation coming in uh, after uh, after Rocket Story is done but uh, yeah uh, just fantastic uh, franchise all around I guess it's sort of uh, uh, just of the of, of City of God.
So I got to rework my brain now because City of Men is a Clive Owen movie in my brain. I got to. <laughs> oh, you mean Children of Men? Children of Men. Children of Men. Children of Men. Sorry. You're right. You're right. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I agree with, you know, City of God was a very good film. So there's really nothing else I could say that you guys haven't already said. So definitely also recommend that. And the series was City of Men. That's what I was I was trying to get. Yeah, it's uh, uh, all those are recommended. Uh, absolutely, just fantastic uh, coming of age. Uh, you know, uh, just harsh, just unforgiving environment. And but uh, uh, just like Mark said, you empathize with everybody. You know, you might hate some of them, you might absolutely despise them, but you understand that when you don't have a family, when you don't have anything, you don't just have a future, you're gonna resort to just anything in order to make it, in order to gain status. And I think uh, all these, uh, uh, all these uh, from uh, showing the, the realities of the favelas of uh, Brazil, uh, just knock it out of the park. Wanna wrap this one up then? Cool. Start us off there. Final words, thoughts? I'll just say my final thought is, you know, the idea of the coming of age movie is, is one that um, Jeff, you mentioned with 400 blows. And it's been since then, there's always going to be a coming of age movie every year, several of them, you know, some, you know, have more lasting or staying power than others, but it's, it's, it's a kind of go-to kind of genre um, that always kind of pays off, um, maybe not every dime, but, 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 uh, but, but enough that they're willing to invest, uh, money in, 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 uh, the coming of age stories. Um, as was just mentioned in terms of, uh, city of God, I think, you know, what makes, at least for me, the, the genre fresh is when you can focus on coming of age in various places or locations that are not just the typical one that we've seen in this country, um, having more stories out there from different backgrounds, different cultures, um, different eras in time, and how, you know, just like you mentioned with, with Crooklyn, late 60s, early 70s, gives you a kind of a, a window into that experience. And then with that specific specificity around those experiences, it, it leads to the universal, right? The specific is the key to the general, the universal. That's how it kind of works. So I'm looking forward to seeing more coming of age films from a variety of different, um, locations, backgrounds, and cultures, because again, it, it makes you not just understand who the people are in those places, but also allows you to relate to them. Um, in terms of any recommendations, I mean, the list that I provided is my list of recommendations. Um, some you might've seen, some you might've not have, not have seen, but uh, all of them are worth checking out. Well, for me, I, um, I just wanna add some t television recommendations because I know we were just talking about films so definitely Wonder Years um, I'll also add I will add person I will add Stranger Things I've seen every single episode so if you you know to me if you even though it's episode like you like to break better than Stranger Things but you know I personally some people may not like it but I think a lot of people do because you know it. You know it was um, this. You know ever since the first season, it was w well talked about. So and another one that um, a lot of people it was short lived for what 
whatever reason, I don't know, because a lot of people like that, that's freaks and geeks. And um, if you haven't seen that, check it out. And you will recognize a whole lot of people like um, Seth Rogen and Frank, what's that, Franco, what's his name? James um, Franco. James Franco and all those, you know, uh, all the folks that in, you know, in this, in this, in this series, um, it, it was funny. It's like me and my wife, we, we make a game of it. It's like anytime we, we recognize people from freaking geeks in, in a film and a guy, um, and the main character, his friend with the glasses, he looks so different now, but he was a Silicon Valley. I was like, I told my wife, we may, like I said, we make a game of it. I said, that's the guy from Freaks and Geeks, you know? And um, so those those three TV shows off the top of my head, um, I recommend, so. Yeah, as is apparent with uh, all of our picks, uh, sort of coming of age, uh, growing up, movies are all, you know, they've been, They've, uh, they've been everywhere, you know, uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, since the early 60s, uh, you know, when you know, filmmakers sort of uh, turn the cameras back to their own childhoods and they're able to tell stories, you know, from, uh, you know, every, ranging from, you know, the childhood innocence to loss of innocence to, uh, to dramatic stuff to comedic stuff uh, and everything in between. Uh, and it, uh, it just shows sort of the the poles that you go through when you're going in, in childhood, uh, and um, you know, the uh, it, how important that is to experience. Because you know, if uh, you don't have a childhood when you're supposed to, you're going to have a childhood in adulthood, and that's that is not good. That's not that's probably not going to lead uh, down uh, to good things. You know, you know, uh, you know, yeah. And I think uh, letting kids be kids, but by all means, you know, have a hand in uh, raising your kids. You know, and making sure that they uh, get a variety of experiences. But they have to, you know, they have to learn to socialize. They have to learn to uh, sort of uh, grow up on their own uh, at some time. You know, and uh, hopefully they establish that early, or uh, other they maybe a, a, a sort of a stunted adolescence that uh, some of these movies show. Um, yeah, I was going to also recommend some uh, TV picks that uh, we didn't get to, uh, but uh, you know, uh, when I was uh, when I was at the right at the right age, you know, in um, teen and tween, the Disney Channel had a, had a ton of these uh, sort of shows. But I think uh, the best of them, you know, we got sort of a follow up uh, recently, uh, Boy Meets World, and it followed, um, you know. Uh, uh, Fred that uh, Fred Savage's uh, brother from the Wonder Years, uh, sort of growing up, and uh, uh, you know, and some of it could come off as you know, you know, very schmaltzy now. But you know, when you were at the right age, you know, this was uh, uh, this was stuff that was uh, sort of um, uh, pressing to you at the moment, and I think they captured that uh, fairly well. Uh, and also, what was I going to say? I was going to recommend. Uh, uh, you know, we, we mostly centered on uh, sort of teenage and uh, you know uh, younger, uh, younger coming of age movies. But this coming of age movies sort of of, uh, of all different types and all different uh, sort of uh, uh, life transitions. Uh, one of my favorites, probably one I would recommend if you haven't seen it, uh, The Graduates. You know, and that's uh, 
it's a movie that you see, you know, it's another uh, sort of uh, eat your vegetables movies that you see in film class, uh, you know, when you're not quite at the right age to understand what the Dustin Hoffman character is going through. But uh, man, once you, uh, once you reach that, uh, or once you reach that age and past it, you understand perfectly what, uh, uh, what the Hoffman character goes through and experiences. And that's a sort of uh, a different type of coming of age movie, but uh, definitely, uh, definitely one that's sort of timeless. And that, that always is, that's a perfect encapsulation of that uh, post-grad feel, the post-grad malaise that seemingly everyone goes through and everyone experiences. And then, yeah, I think uh, coming of age movies will keep on, uh, will keep on going strong uh, and uh, keep on telling us uh, that uh, whether that's through the lens of nostalgia or, you know, documentary, like uh, what we mentioned, uh, I think uh, it's invaluable to sh sort of show know where people come from and how they uh, and how they grow up thank you as always for giving us a listen as we talked about some great coming of age movies hopefully you have some new films to check out or found a new appreciation for others you have already seen for our next podcast, I'll have a conversation with New Zealand screenwriter and Boston Screenwriters Group member Sarah K. Watson. Look out for that soon. Feel free to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and other platforms. You can support this podcast and the Screenwriters Group with a monthly donation by clicking on the support button in anchor.fm. You can find Kenyatta and I hosting the Boston Screenwriters Group on meetup.com and on YouTube with our forum recordings. You can join us by RSVPing to a virtual peer-reviewing script meetup by using the link in the description. We wish you all the best in your writing and other of life's pursuits. Continue on staying strong. Thank you.